1: And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. Today's episode is part two, in which my guest from part one, Dr. Casey Tobin, is returning to talk about more fun facts regarding body parts that most boys have. Thank you so much, Dr. Tobin, for returning. Casey, you want to say hi to our listeners today.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for having me again and welcome, everyone. I'm excited about this topic.
1: Me too. Some people have asked me in the past, Casey. I don't know if they've asked you because I do have the common parts that most girls have. I have those and some people will say, well, because you have those parts, you can't talk about parts that most boys have or you can't talk to most boys about their changes regarding puberty. But there's nothing to back that up.
2: No, not at all. Although I don't necessarily have these parts. um, I do have a son and him going through puberty. I learned a lot, even through my teaching. A lot of males will share information with me about their own experiences with some of their body parts. So uh, I'm not an expert per se, but I do feel like I have a lot of education surrounding most girls and most boys body parts.
1: Well, thank you again for being back. And as a reminder, Dr. Tobin, she is a professor of psychology and she does teach a sex, is it sex education? Is that what it's called? It's actually called human sexuality for undergraduate students. Great. For this episode, we have 13 fun facts of body parts that most boys have, and these are the parts that we're talking about in the reproductive system. It might be external parts, so the outside or the internal parts and the inside. So we have 13 fun facts. Just a reminder for you that when we're talking about these body parts, we will be using some phrases like most boys, most men, that kind of thing, just like we did in part one, because it's it's not for everyone people with a penis, it's not all boys.
2: Exactly. And just like girls, those that identify girls may have a vulva and a vagina, but they may not have a vulva and vagina. So people that identify as male biologically or gender related, they may have a penis or they may not have a penis. And there's different variations of genitalia. So we need to be inclusive and consider everyone. But in this podcast, we're basically talking about most boys. Let's
1: start off our fun facts with number one, in which some penises are circumcised and some are not. What do you have to say about that, Dr. Tobin?
2: Well, there's a lot of questions around this and the decision typically for most boys that are born with a penis, um, the decision to circumcise or to uncircumcise actually occurs before the child is released from the hospital so parents or caretakers often have to decide whether or not they want to have their boy's penis circumcised or to have it uncircumcised. And circumcised really means cutting of the foreskin. Uncircumcised means that you're not doing anything to the penis. And it has foreskin that is wrapped around, if you will, the head of the penis. It changes the appearance if the penis is flaccid. So if you are uncut, the foreskin will drape over the head of the penis. But It will look the exact same as a cut penis if it's erect. So you can't tell the difference between penises that have been cut or uncut, circumcised or uncircumcised when it is erect, but you can primarily tell the difference when it's flaccid. Um, So it really comes down to personal preference. Although over the years, we've really started questioning whether or not it's needed for penises. The presence of foreskin or the lack thereof of foreskin does have some effect on your hygiene and your overall health. There's a lot of questions surrounding that. Does it affect your hygiene if you have a circumcised penis or an uncircumcised penis? And I think this is the big key that we really need to understand. An uncut penis requires some extra attention to hygiene. Not excessive amount of attention, but boys with a penis that are uncut will need to clean regularly under the foreskin because oil and dead skin cells and bacteria can cause something that we call smegma and it can build up. And smegma can actually make your penis smell and even lead to inflammation. So if you are uncircumcised, you have to spend just a little bit more time in the shower with your hygiene and making sure that the foreskin is properly cleaned. A cut penis or a circumcised penis doesn't really require additional hygiene. You just need to make sure that you wash it regularly. So there's really no difference. The hygiene part, I think, is the biggest question. And then some parents face the decision and question the level of pain that an infant might receive when they're when they're circumcised. And there is pain. There is medication. This is a little bit more controversial. So I suggest to parents um, when they're understanding or trying to figure out if they want to have their child circumcised or uncircumcised is just do your research and really understand the benefits, the pros and the cons. But from this educator, the bottom line is circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't have an effect on your risk for most conditions. And it doesn't really affect your overall health as long as you're practicing proper hygiene. Oh. And sometimes the decision for circumcision deals with religion. Yes, absolutely.
1: Fun fact number two, and this one deals with when boys can get their first erection. So what's that
2: fun fact? Well, most people think of boys getting their first erection probably during puberty. However, there are some studies that actually show biologically male fetuses can actually have penile erections in utero. So it's unclear as to why they actually have the erections. And it's even unclear as to why infants and toddlers have erections. We know what causes them, and that's the blood flow to the penis area. That's what causes the erections. But we're not sure what triggers that when we're talking about infants and toddlers and babies in utero. It could be because of stimulation, but there's not hardcore proof. That determines that it's sexual stimulation or any kind of stimulation that they're reacting to. But of course, you know, as we know that most boys, as they move toward puberty, erections are gonna happen more often. And boys are capable of having erections since infancy, can now experience even ejaculation. Ejaculation can be kind of scary for some boys. And this usually happens between the ages of 11 and 15, but it could be earlier, it could be a little bit later, it can be spontaneous in connection to some thoughts or, or emotions that they may be experiencing. It could occur during masturbation while someone is self-pleasuring themselves, or it can even occur at night when they're sleeping, which we call nocturnal emission. Which
1: moves us into fun fact number three, in which sperm and semen are not the
2: same. They aren't, but they work in tandem with each other. So if you think about sperm and you think about semen, sperm is the microscopic cells that are actually part of the semen. The semen is all the different fluids that the male reproductive system actually produces to help guide the sperm into ejaculate to where it's ejaculated outside of the penis area. So the semen nourishes the sperm And actually helps in its mobility to move through the ejaculatory duct and outside of the penis.
1: So another term for ejaculation is semen in which sperm is one aspect of the semen. Yes. And there's other fluids too.
2: Yes. Lots of different fluids. So you're talking about fluids that come from the seminal vesicles or the prostate gland or even something that is called the bulborethal glands, otherwise known as the cowper's glands. These secretions have water and they have some fructose or sugar. They have components of protein, um, even vitamins and citric acid. There's just a lot of different things that come from um, these secretions from the different glands and different parts of the male reproductive system.
1: Okay, so going on to then fun fact number four, When does sperm
2: actually get produced? This is interesting to me. So a healthy bio male testes, the testicles, they can actually produce 500 million sperm cells daily. And these testes can actually release up to 75 million or even more sperm during an ejaculation. And and so I want to compare that. Most girls have or are born with a million eggs. And by the time of puberty, they only have 300,000 possibly remaining. And they have only about 300 to 400 will be ovulated during a woman's entire lifeline. So the sperm production time is there's a lot of sperm. So you got to think about it that way. There's a lot of mobility and viability because we're talking about the the fluid, the semen that helps carry the the sperm. But the production happens when sperm is regenerated, but it's not necessarily immediate when an ejaculation actually occurs because the body is really consistently creating it. And on average, it takes the biological male about 75 days to produce new sperm from start to finish. But the actual time frame for an individual to make sperm can actually vary. So it's, it's a lot of details and a lot of intricacies with this. So the body, most boys' bodies will produce an average of like 200, 300 million sperm cells per milliliter. The way you can look at it is that's a lot of sperm cells that are created. On average, it takes sperm to actually develop in testes for two months. And then after that development, it moves to the epididymis, which is stored and preserved. And it takes about 14 more days for the sperm to fully mature and actually move into possible ejaculate. So it's not a quick thing. When a boy ejaculates, it doesn't mean their next ejaculation is going to be quick with healthy sperm or an easy production of sperm.
1: Talking about sperm and ejaculation, that leads us to fun fact number five, Mm -hmm. in which when I do puberty workshops, when I talk to children, I'm usually asked the question by somebody that identifies as male, am I wetting my bed because I'm waking up and my sheets are all wet? And I'll say, that's a wet dream. So what is that fun fact number five about?
2: Well wet dreams can occur at any age really of most boys they don't typically occur before puberty however there are some research studies that say it can happen it's just not common before puberty so what wet dreams really are things that happen so you have an ejaculate you may have a penis erect during a dream maybe the dream is sexual images or it could be something that's sexually stimulating and some guys will wake up from a wet dream and then they find out that their bed's wet. And it's kind of interesting because they don't know what it is. They don't think it's urine. They don't think that they wet the bed, but they're not quite sure what happened. Some boys will actually wake up and the penis is still erect or even while they're having the ejaculate. But other boys may actually sleep right through it and only wake up to find something wet in the bed. There's other things that we call this. So it's nocturnal emission. Some people will refer to it as a spontaneous orgasm, but it's really waking up to either having the orgasm or soon after having the orgasm that ultimately leads to ejaculation. And it's the wetness of the semen that's on the clothing or the bedding. And something I still don't understand, but I think it's interesting to bring up here. Some boys may have a wet dream even without an erection. And that's confusing to me, but I think it's important to note that you don't have to have an erection to have a nocturnal emission.
1: And some people have this memory. Some people had the experience, but forget. And then some people don't experience a wet dream.
2: Right. And it's not necessarily normal or abnormal, whether you have it or you don't have it. Um, and some boys may have a vivid imagination and that can play a part in sexual images or things that you're dreaming about, which can ultimately lead to arousal. And then the arousal coming to full fruition and having a nocturnal omission, but others don't, they may not have it or they may not remember it. So it's not normal or abnormal to have a wet dream. It's just an occurrence that many people have.
1: And if you do have one, how you cope with it is you change what you're wearing You know, if you're wearing underwear and pajama bottoms and you can change your sheets, that's you just clean up afterwards. It's like your body's practicing that release of semen. Mm
2: -hmm. Exactly.
1: Which then leads to fun fact number six. When that semen is released, what
2: is the average amount, Casey? Well, and I think this is mind boggling to some. So some boys, when they ejaculate, they feel like it's a lot of ejaculate, a lot of substance. And reality, it's anywhere from two to about five or six milliliters per ejaculate. So we're looking at a quarter to a full teaspoon, not a tablespoon, a teaspoon. So kind of going back to the wet dreams, you may wake up and have this wet dream, but the ejaculate is probably not gonna be more than one teaspoon. And kind of a little interesting tidbit Of all that semen, the one teaspoon, let's say, only 10% of that is actually sperm. The other percent is the natural lubrication and the natural fluids that are developed during an arousal and ejaculation. So another little tidbit that I think is, is intriguing to me is biological or most biological boys tend to ejaculate the largest amount of semen in their 30s. Um, And as you age after the thirties, the volume starts to decrease. I just think that's, that's fascinating to me that I would think in puberty, that's when you would have the most ejaculate, Um, but they say that, you know, over time in your thirties, that seems to be the most amount,
1: but the amount of sperm actually goes down as a person ages.
2: That's correct. So the concentrate of sperm, if you will, is increases um, throughout their puberty and actually not significantly increases, but still steadily increases until they're 30. And then it starts to deteriorate as you get older.
1: Well, what is fun fact number seven?
2: Well, since we're talking about sperm, I think it's important for most boys to understand that what impacts the sperm. And there's a lot of different things that can play a part in sperm development, but stress levels can have an impact on sperm development because it actually will decrease or can decrease sexual function. And when you're stressed, it interferes with your hormones that are needed to actually produce sperm physical activity though, actually increases enzymes and that helps protect the sperm. So maintaining a healthy lifestyle, eating properly, not smoking, not drinking, not using any type of drugs, unless they're prescribed obesity, psychological stress, your caffeine intake, even your diet, all of that can have a factor or play a factor in sperm development and, and semen even. So there's a lot of risk factors.
1: Yeah. And tobacco products. So in the year 2022, it's interesting that, you know, We know so much about tobacco products, and this also includes marijuana too. I mean, marijuana is not put into the tobacco category, but marijuana is cannabis, and that also impacts the sperm count and the concentration.
2: So yes, even cigarette smoking, the nicotine and alcohol intake, which is actually a suppressant, and caffeine intake, which is a stimulant, all can play a part in the vascular system of the reproductive system of males and females. But that influences the fertility or the development of sperm of most males.
1: This does not mean, though, that if you're using a substance, that that cannot create a pregnancy. If you're using marijuana, that that's your contraceptive to prevent pregnancy.
2: Yes. Because you just need one sperm. Right. One is all it takes.
1: Yep. to, Mm. To impregnate and to bond with that egg.
2: Absolutely. Definitely don't use or think that any of these risk factors such as tobacco use, alcohol use, those type of things are a form of birth control because they are absolutely not.
1: Okay, now, fun fact number eight is about boxers or briefs. So what's the fun fact there?
2: Well, I think this has been a discussion and and even possibly a debate topic over the last years, a few years, because we're starting to see more boxers. In um, less briefs, or we're seeing boxer briefs, so it's the combination of the two, but we need to consider the testicles. Your testicles are accustomed to being at a cooler temperature because they're on the outside of your body, right? And so you have to consider that whatever underwear you're, re- you're wearing, are you constraining your testicles too tightly? Does your underwear fit properly? It should be a really good question. Is it too small or maybe you're wearing too tight pants? That may cause some severe discomfort. And after a long period of time, if you're consistently constraining your testicles, that can cause a lot of inflammation and it can cause a lot of problems with sperm development because it might actually twist the spermatic cord um, or it rotates. And that's called testicular torsion, by the way. Um, But it's kind of interesting that the tighter they are, the more at risk you are for sperm development. That's not saying you can't wear briefs. So if you're wearing tight underwear, your testicles are really up against your skin and more likely to be closer to the 98.6 degrees that we are temperature, uh, which our body's temperature is. And this temperature is not a great temperature for sperm to produce. So it can also increase moisture. That can lead to infectious skin issues and um, something called jock itch. So having them too close to your body all the time or for a, a long period of time can do some damage. But the opposite of that is, you know, do we allow people to wear boxers and are the testicles then supported enough to be able to maintain, you know, its, its strength, if you will? What's funny though, is they now have these underwear um, and there's actually a drawstring that is part of the underwear that has a small pouch. And Lori, I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's a small pouch that you adjust the drawstring to actually help support the testicles. And I think this is more important as men get older because the testicles tend to uh, sag a little bit more. So it supports them, but it doesn't necessarily bring them into the body to increase the temperature of the testicles. So boxers or briefs. I kind of like the idea of boxer briefs because you have the support, but it's not so tight that you're keeping your testicles too close to your body.
1: So for fun fact, number eight, the overall fun fact is make sure you're wearing the best underwear where you have the support. And no, I have never heard of that little drawstring.
2: Yes. I haven't heard of that. A friend of mine actually sent me the advertisement the other day, and I thought, this is interesting. I wonder how far this is going to go. I don't know what brand it was or anything like that. But I wonder if this is going to be eventually in the mainstream or if this is just something that this one particular company is interested in doing. So we'll see. Time will tell. So
1: moving on to fun fact number nine. What is that fun fact?
2: So we often use slang terms when we're talking about our genitalia. And one slang term that you might hear from most males is having a boner, which really means an erection, right? And there's this question, when you when you call a penis that's erect a boner, there's this assumption that it actually is a bone that's causing the erection. So this tidbit of information is what is the penis actually composed of and To add on to that, since we think of it as a boner, can it actually break like a normal bone? Can it break? Sort of is the answer. It's rare, but it happens. A penis fracture can actually occur if there's something happening and there's trauma to an erect penis. Okay. So you've got an erect penis. There's cylinders that are engorged with blood each side of the penis and if you have trauma to the erect penis it can damage those cylinders or the tissue and the trauma can actually actually rupture the outer lining of the cylinders so you can have a penis fracture but it's not a bone that's breaking it's severe damage to the cylinders and the outer lining of the cylinders and trauma can happen in a lot of different ways again it's rare but if it happens, you want to seek out medical advice. So it can happen through penetration. It can also happen through very aggressive masturbation. You just have to be mindful. Even rolling over in the bed with an erect penis, if you hit it just right, it actually can fracture that penis. So it's basically a trauma. And if something happens and a fracture occurs, Hold on to yourself here. You will actually hear a popping or like a cracking sound. It's because that tissue, one, it's so engorged with blood that it actually cracks, if you will. The erection usually goes down very, very quickly. And then there's swelling that occurs. And actually blue or or bruise-like appearance can occur. And even the penis may be bent. So that discoloration and the fact that it might be bent seek advice immediately that's not something that you just want to put ice on and see how it you know works out or how it pans out if it's if you heard a cracking and it's swelling and it's bent you need to seek medical attention quickly
1: yeah if you feel anything weird with your body please yeah. always get the support you need <laughs> don't try to like try to fix it yourself and so for this there's no bone in the penis you're talking no. about these cylinders
2: which fill with blood when a penis is stimulated Exactly. There's not a bone in there, but there is something that can be damaged. So you have to be mindful of that.
1: And so continuing talking about the penis, we go on to fun fact number 10 in which is there an average size for the penis?
2: Well, I think the question first is what do most males think the size is for a typical penis, if you will? So they tend to believe the average length for an erect penis is at least six inches. And in fact, research indicates that it's smaller than that. So sizes will vary. Penises will be wide. The girth could be different. The length could be different, but the average length is somewhere between five and five and a half inches erect. Okay. Because when it's flaccid, it actually can be much smaller and it can look very, very small. And if you have foreskin, it may be a different size. But when we're talking about the average size of a penis, we're looking at about five to five and a half inches. So it's usually within that range. When I
1: talk to young people, I try to have them understand it's the size doesn't matter because it's just like the size of your hands, like your hands. All of us have different body parts. Like what we said for part one, our genitals are all going to be different. It doesn't matter what the size of the penis is. What's important is that it functions in the way it's supposed to and that it's, it's healthy overall. Exactly.
2: Well, Lori, you just brought up hands and how, you know, we all have different body parts um, and they may be different sizes and different colors and shapes and everything. And you brought up hands specifically, and there's a, a myth or a misunderstanding that if you have big hands Or if you've had big feet, you probably have a large penis. So a lot of times people will go out and say, oh, they've got a large hand. I wonder what that means about their penis. Although that shouldn't even matter. Statistically, there's actually no correlation that big hands and big feet are correlated to the size of a penis. So in general, humans have relatively large penises when you compare them to like other primates.
1: And that's our fun fact number 11, in which the size of someone's hands or feet has nothing to do with their
2: size of their penis overall. There is something that's interesting about a genetic component. The variation in penis size actually has a genetic component. Boys often can look at their father's penis to determine their size. Hormones can also influence penis size as well.
1: And that was fun fact number 11, in which the size of your penis is not correlated to big hands and big feet. Fun fact number 12 deals with the length of some tubules. What is that fun fact? So
2: I wanted to bring this up because the seminiferous tubules, these are actually tubules that are located inside the testes or the testicles. And this is what kind of makes up the bulk of the testicle. This is where sperm begins to develop. So what we call this, it's the site of spermatogenesis. So the development of sperm and these little tubules, they're really tight. They're tightly coiled. They're like thread like, so tiny. And if you look at a testicle, they, they make up of about 90% of the testicular mass. But what I think is interesting is the tubules are 20 inches long, but you have a lot of tubules. So if you take a typical testes or a typical testicle and pull all of the tubules out of one testicle, you'll have up to a half a mile of tubes. It is really, really long. So you can imagine how that's concentrated and how it's pulled together within the testicle. And it's very tight. And again, like I said, it's 90% of the testicular mass that you have of a testes.
1: I always find it interesting how far sperm have to travel. Yes. It's a long way. They have to do a lot of
2: work. They have to do a lot of work to be out. Yep. (laughs) Which is
1: why those glands or those ducts exist to provide fluid, including a sugar product. That makes sense. Yes. Now, last but not least is fun fact number 13.
2: And that fun fact is boys have pelvic floors too. Yes, all humans have pelvic floors, um, and a biological male's pev- pelvic floor muscles are what support the bladder and the bowel in a male. So the opening for these organs, the urethra for the bladder and the rectum for the bowel, pass through the pelvic floor. So those pelvic floor muscles will actually wrap firmly around those passages to help keep them shut, to help control urinating and defecating. So for a biological boy, typically to test out your pelvic floor muscles, you do the same thing as what girls do. So while you're passing your first stream of urine in the morning, you try to stop that stream. That is the muscles you use to work up your pelvic floor muscles. But some research indicates you don't wanna do that a lot while you're urinating. By using those muscles, you may overuse those muscles So you want to make sure that you don't stop urinating often. The first stream of urine in the morning, try to stop the stream. Now you know what the pelvic floor muscles are. And if the pelvic floor muscles are actually not working, like if they're not working properly, it can lead to those bladder problems and bowel problems, but it can also lead to erectile dysfunction and even pain in your genitals or your pelvic area. So it's really important that we understand those and and know how to work our pelvic floor muscles because it strengthens, it strengthens your penis. It strengthens your sexual functions and your sexual reproductive organs. So pelvic floor muscles are are a powerful tool for anyone. So that concludes
1: our 13 fun facts for the parts of most boys. And I, again, thank you so much, Dr. Casey Tobin for being here. Do you have any last words that you want to share with us? Any, anything that you want to share before we end today? Again, I want
2: to say thank you for allowing me to come speak. Since today's discussion was primarily over most boys, we don't talk to boys very often about their biology. Sometimes we only focus on, let's say the penis, but there's so much more going on for most boys and we need to have education and we need to have that topic discussed and not be afraid of that topic. For some reason, we tend to talk about it more with girls and boys are kind of left behind. So let's keep communicating. Let's talk about it. It's normal to have questions about your body and how things work. So we need to keep that communication open with everyone. Wonderful.
1: And thank you again, Dr. Tobin, for being here and to our listeners. We so appreciate you listening in. If you'd like more information, please go to pubertyprof.com and you can leave a comment in the comment box or send an email to pubertyprof at gmail.com. Feel free to check out the Talk Puberty app. There is a section that is for most boys and another section for most girls. And the app is basically basic questions with very simple answers. And the app does lead to conversations between people. That's why it was created. Thank you again for listening. And I hope that you have a happy and healthy day.